Is there any hope left for the season? Come on, Ross. What kind of question is that? Come on, man. You can't win on the road. What are you going to be able to do? I don't even know how to answer that, Rob. I mean, come on, what am I supposed to say? Of course there's hope. Of course we believe in each other. You know, we're just going to take one galvanizing moment. So whether that's a speech or a practice or something happens in the game, something's got to get this thing going. Way back. Get up. Get out of here. Go. Rainbows high and deep. Touchdown, Wisconsin. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM. Always streaming live at WKTYsports.com. Hope you're having a killer Monday. Thanks for coming along, making the show a part of your evening. I am your host, Grant Bills. And regardless of how your sports teams did, I know the Packers had kind of a sour week and the Badgers uh, get back on the right track. Regardless of how your weekend went in the sports world, happy Thanksgiving week. Uh, This is always uh, such a fun week. It's one of the highlights of my year. Get to see the family, get to go home. Maybe you're doing some deer hunting. Sports are always built into that. You get to watch some football on Thanksgiving, whether it's Packers or not. Still a fun week and, and a very special week for all of us. So happy, uh, happy holidays, happy Thanksgiving week, and uh, and we're going to be celebrating a little bit on this show along the week. Man, it's going to be an awesome week. Monday, uh, Monday through Wednesday. Obviously, no shows on Thursday this week, but we're I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a really good week. Uh, like I said, I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for coming along. The Packers did take one on the chin, regardless of the feel-good holiday week, 27-24 last Thursday night. And unfortunately, I wasn't able able to be on last Friday to react to that game because we have Zach Heilprin and the boys on the Badger Roundtable show Friday. So this is the first time that Grant Bills is coming on the air to break down the Seahawks' loss. And luckily, I think there was a couple days of cushion because it probably forced me to think a little more be less angry and a little bit more analytical, as I'm sure you are as well. So I want to hear from you today about this Packers loss and everything else that's on the dock at 608-796-2558. Coming up at 5.30, we're going to talk to Ebo, host of the Joe and Ebo Experience at The Zone in Madison. You can hear him in the mornings on our sister station, The Zone. And we're going to get his thoughts, obviously, on the Packers, but a little bit on the Badgers as well. We'll talk more about that later. The Badgers, or the Packers, excuse me, losing another very winnable game, arguably Another game that they were in position to take. 27-24 was the final score, and uh, not, to, not to rhyme, but another game. They go on the road. They're in position to win. Arguably look like the better team for most of the game. They look more prepared. Their players look better. And then, uh, to quote one of my favorite quotes from UWL basketball coach Kent Dernbach, they took a piss right down their leg. <laughs> That's what happened. And I don't know why I was surprised. I don't know why I was frustrated because it's the same thing we've been seeing all year. And if you want to get specific about Seattle, it's the same thing we saw in 2014 in the NFC Championship game. And it was the same thing we saw in 2012 in the Fail Mary game with the replacement refs. Now, obviously, the stakes of those games always different. The details of those games always different. But in a nutshell, in a large package, in a wide scope, the same theme, the same thing we've saw. From the Packers in Seattle. And you know these games are coming all the more common. The 2015 playoff loss to Arizona. Absolutely. How many games this year have we said the same thing? Quality opponents on the road. You've had them in a good spot. And you have well in layman's terms. Took a piss down your leg. And peed it away. 608-796-2558. If you want to chime in on the 5 Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. Share your thoughts about this Packers loss. And and you heard the quote when we when we kicked off the show, right? Aaron Rodgers saying we just need a galvanizing moment, whether that's a speech, whether that's a play, 
Other that's something in practice. We just need that galvanizing moment. Well, I'm taking a look at my watch, and I'm looking at the calendar, and I'm saying, hey, look, Rodgers, you've had chances for galvanizing moments. You don't get to, in week 12 and week 13, say, well, we're on the cusp. We just need to break through. Well, your time is running out. And some would argue that it has run out. Now, I know the Packers are in the thick of things, in the hunt for this playoff race. Regardless of how the Packers team looked, if you just looked at the numbers, they're right there, and, and, and they have as good a shot as a lot of other teams to make the playoffs this year. But if you watch the team, it would tell you something completely different. The frustrating thing for me is I have to sit here and listen to Aaron Rodgers say we need another galvanizing moment. Rodgers, you had chance after chance after chance for a galvanizing moment in the fourth quarter of all of these difficult games on the road, and you didn't do a damn thing with that opportunity. So if the 30-plus million-dollar man, Aaron Rodgers, two-time MVP, Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl champ, in the GOAT conversation nonetheless, as we learned two weeks ago, when they played the Patriots, or three weeks ago, whenever that was. Who better? Who else are we looking to for a galvanizing moment? Are we looking to Trevor Davis to run a kickback? Are we looking to Antonio Morrison to get a strip sack and ignite this team? No, of course we're not. We're looking to number 12. We're looking to Aaron Rodgers. So I think it was incredibly short-sighted. And and look, it's a press conference interview. I know a lot of it is tongue-in-cheek. It's cliche. But it's frustrating. We need a galvanizing moment. Well, go out there and make one happen then, Rodgers. All things considered. Let's go to the five-star telecom talking text line. 608-796-2558. Caller, tough game on Thursday. What did you take away from it? Oh, brutal, Grant. Brutal. Uh, You know, here's the thing that really just makes me absolutely livid. You know, two things. First of all, don't go for it on fourth and, and two when, you know, your defense is an absolute mash unit. And then when you've got a guy wide open, three yards downfield, and is the most electrifying runner on your team, and you just refuse to throw him the ball because the end zone is 20 yards away, is beyond me. Um, You know, I think of greatness. I look at Brady. I look at, you know, Montana in his heyday, James White, Roger Craig, and... That's where they made their bread and butter. And he refuses to throw them the ball. You know, and, and we talk about it all the time. We Some some of us joke, and I, and I appreciate the phone call on the five-star telecom talking text line. Thank you, as always. We joke all the time that Brady is a system quarterback, right? And I joke about that all the time. Of course, we know it's it's not 100% true. He's not Alex Smith, or he he's not, you know, take your pick of system quarterbacks. Uh, most of them played for the Bears. But Tom Brady knows when it's time to check the ball down. Tom knows... When a, when a rusher is bearing in and you can't afford to take a sack for yardage reasons, for down-and-distance reasons, or for, heck, injury reasons, you can't take a sack. Dump the ball off. Take the easy play. Live to live another snap. Brady's the best at doing that. Brady's the best at taking what the defense will give him. And we haven't seen Aaron Rodgers do that. And, and I want to get more into the X's and O's of Aaron Rodgers' game. And this game is a whole coming up uh, here in the next segment after the first break. But, I mean, I think you you dug into it real deep. Aaron Rodgers not willing to take those checkdowns. He did miss a couple of easy throws that we it's not characteristic of number 12 to miss. Just an off day for Aaron Rodgers. We're going to talk about that coming up next. I I, I don't know why I'm I'm frustrated. I don't know why I'm in disbelief that the Packers won that game lost that game last Thursday night. It was the, it was the same thing we saw in 2012, same thing we saw in 2014. It was the same thing you could apply this to other games. The Cardinals lost in 2015 in the playoffs. 
You could apply it to the Patriots. Just in recent memory, the Patriots and the Rams game, both in tremendous positions, if not advantageous positions like they were in the Rams game in the fourth quarter with leads or tied on the road against the cream of the crop in their respective conferences and self-inflicted wounds, bad plays, bad clock management. Turn the ball over, what have you. It's just the theme that is is starting to become the theme more often than not for this Green Bay Packers team. I think a great comparison here, quick before we take a break, is the Bears game last night. I watched the Bears. They jump off to a 14-0 lead or, or whatever it was. Maybe it was a, a 10-0 lead, whatever. It was a two-possession lead. Defense is rolling. They're at home feeling good, and you think, man, they're going to win this game. Looks like the Bears are going to win this game. Mitchell Trubisky, I believe, had two interceptions. I believe, I, I don't have the stats in front of me. He had a bad bad throw into quadruple coverage. I, I do believe he threw a second pick, yes. Bears still won that game. Bears had a lead. Bears made plays early, jumped out to that lead, and they did not let a really good opponent like the Vikings come back. Trubisky made misreads. He made mistakes. They didn't let that crash and burn their entire game. I mean, how many times the last couple weeks have we picked apart, well, you know, if it wasn't for the Aaron Jones fumble. Well, you know, if it wasn't for the Ty Montgomery fumble. Well, you know, if it wasn't for this or that. Teams make mistakes and win games to tell about it. The Bears are a great example last night. This Packers team, for whatever reason, cannot absorb a mistake. If anything doesn't go absolutely, if everything doesn't go perfectly, this team is sunk and they can't win. I don't understand it. I watched the Bears, for the most part, play a very similar game to the Packers last night. They came out, looked like the better team early, looked better prepared, looked ready to go, looked better quarterbacked, regardless of Trubisky's two picks because Kirk Cousins looked way worse. They had that lead, they made mistakes, but they still persisted down the stretch, and they didn't let the Vikings steal one at the end on, on the road like the Packers have failed to do how many times this year? And in Seattle, back and back and back, all the way to 2012. It's, it's disgusting, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's frustrating to watch, and it's frustrating to talk about, because now, in the next segment, we got to come back and say, who's to blame? Is it Rodgers? Is it McCarthy? And I think it's a really interesting comparison, because you listen to the national media, they'll tell you one thing, and you listen to the local media, like, tune into Bill Michaels. Hear what he has to say. Hear what his callers and analysts have to say. It's very different. You're going to get very different prognostication of this Packers team and a very different analysis and diagnosis, if you will, of this Packers team and why it is they're losing. I'm going to try to synthesize both and put them in together because I do think it's both. I don't think that's a cop-out at all. I think there's points and there's details from both sides that come together. And ultimately, well, they just paid Aaron Rodgers $30 million. So if something changes at the end of the year, you know what it is. We're talking about both sides. Coming up here on the Wisco Sports Show, I'm your host, Grant Bills. You're listening to WKTY. Seahawks wanted a flag. They don't get it. And the pass is caught for the touchdown. Aaron Jones showing everything he can do here in Seattle. What a half he's had. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY with me, your host, Grant Bills. There it is, just one of Aaron Jones' many spectacular plays in the first half. And we'll talk more about that coming up here in a minute. I want to say thank you for tuning in and making the show a part of your Monday evening. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, we've already had a couple thoughts on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. If you want to get involved, 608-796-2558 is the way to do so. Ebo, host of, uh, I, that's all I have to say, Ebo. If you know him, uh, you know that uh, he is Ebo, and that's all that really I can use to describe him. Ebo, host of the Joe and Ebo Experience on The Zone over in Madison, our sister station, 6 to 10 every morning. Where He's going to be joining us up here in about 10 minutes to talk a little Packers and Badgers as well. 
I wanted to tackle something that I thought was really interesting. Uh, what was it? Two weeks ago, uh, we were talking about the national media perspective versus the local and, and the local fandom perspective, right? And I think that conversation needs to be had about Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers. Look, I think Packers fans who watched the game on Thursday night, they said, man, outside of a couple of plays, at least this was my thought. So if I'm incorrect and I'm speaking for, for everyone incorrectly, let me know. I watched that game and said, man, oh, man. Aaron Rodgers missed a, missed some easy checkdowns. He missed some reads that were there, and he missed some throws. And you add some of those throws up, and I know his his final stat line looked really good. Uh, it was 21 of 30 for 330 and two touchdowns, 73 rating, QBR. But in those incompletions, in those nine incompletions, there were some balls that he should have hit. That's what, I, that's what I took away. Yeah, I don't think McCarthy called the best game. I, maybe it's because I've become accustomed to that, that I'm now desensitized to Mike McCarthy's uh, in my opinion, poor play calling. But the national media is going after McCarthy. They're saying, how could McCarthy punt in the fourth quarter? How could he do this? How could he do that? And then the local the local, and the fans like us are saying, you know, Aaron Rodgers just hasn't been right. And I don't know if people outside the sphere of Wisconsin sports realize that. So I want to compare the two angles. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers specifically first. And we just mentioned his missed throws. He was 21 for 30, but in those nine incompletions, there's some bad throwaways. Some missed reads, some missed checkdowns, especially on third down. Some balls being thrown at the feet of the likes of Marquez Valdez Scantling at times. Just bad, bad um, incompletions. And 21 to 30 doesn't look bad on paper, but if you watch the game, it tells a different story. And that's why I think the local media and Packers fandom as a whole thinks about it differently. And sees it differently. And I, I that's the, the route that I would tend to take. A lot of missed throws, failed checkdowns. Third down percentage for Rodgers has been dismal, and we have to take into account both sides, which is what I'm trying to do here when we when we try to diagnose and analyze this team. Uh, ben Fennell, who writes for The Athletic here in Wisconsin and does a lot of film breakdown and a lot of numbers breakdown, really, really bright guy, and I've referenced some of his work here on the show in the past, some situ- situational statistics. He tweeted this out about 45 minutes ago. I retweeted on my, key, my uh, Twitter account, Keystroker Grant. You can find it. Third down passing for Aaron Rodgers. He's got 25 plays or 12 plays, excuse me, of 25-plus yards. That's first in the NFL. So Aaron Rodgers is going to have some boom plays. He's going to have some some break-free plays on third down. Yards per attempt, 10.4. That's also first in the NFL in terms of yardage. What's his average distance his passes are going on third down? Completion percentage, 60. And that's 18th in the NFL. So those are your third down passing statistics. There's going to be a lot of boom. There's going to be a lot of boom. First, in uh, in 25-plus yard plays, first down in yards per attempt, but only 60% in completion, which puts him below the middle of the pack. If you go inside the 30s, which is, for all intents and purposes, inside the red zone, his completion percentage is 30th in the league, 51%. However, on the other side of the coin, he's got 14 touchdowns and no interceptions. Boom or bust, Aaron Rodgers. And what Ben went on to say in his tweet and I'll quote it exactly because I think it's really interesting and I think it's really applicable. He says, Rodgers is the Barry Sanders of quarterbacks. A lot of spectacular, but you got to swallow and tolerate the lack of efficiency. It's a really good take. It's a really, really good take. And he has the numbers to back it up. First in 25 plus yard plays on third down. First in yards per attempt at just shy of 10 and a half. But completion percentage, horrible, 60%. Worse than half of the quarterbacks in the NFL. Inside the 30, we'll just call it the red zone. Because I think the red zone is a little bit more than the 20. I think it's fair to, to, for the sake of this argument, move the red zone out to the 30. 50% completion rate. 50. That puts him 30th. I don't know who's worse than that, but there's two somewhere in the NFL. Think of it that way. Goodness. 
And that's what Packers fans are seeing. That's what Bill Michaels is seeing and David Scrady in the morning and their callers and their tweeters and their guests from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and the Green Bay Press Gazette and Cheesehead TV and, and, the, and the rest of Packer nation. I hate that expression, but the Packers fear. That's what they see. They see an inefficient, stubborn failure to fit in Aaron Rodgers, especially on third down. That's what Packers fans see. What the rest of the country sees and what the rest of the NFL sees is completely different. Now, there might be a little bit of that in there because it's hard to look at those numbers and not take note. But what the rest of the sports world sees is Mike McCarthy. How could Mike McCarthy punt the ball in the fourth quarter? Yeah, I I don't think it was the right decision. If it pans out, nobody talks about it, in my opinion. When he said to punt the ball away, I said, man, that's tough. It's tough to take the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands. But at the same time, I'm the same fan who just watched Aaron Rodgers throw a dump off into the turf. Into the turf. And I go on Twitter and I see national media guys like Colin Cowherd. I think Jason McIntyre. Mike Florio tweeted about it from Pro Football Talk. He said, how is how is Mike McCarthy punting the ball? I said, well, I can wrap my mind around it because his quarterback just threw a two-yard dump off into the turf. I'm not saying Mike McCarthy is without blame. I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers is without blame. It's a mix of both. And you have the national sphere who's saying, if McCarthy goes, when McCarthy goes, the Packers will be better. And then there's Packers fans who I think are a little bit more educated on this issue. Obviously, they should be. It's their team. Who's saying that a little bit of this is on Aaron Rodgers. And I think that played into Mike McCarthy's decision to punt in the fourth quarter. Carrying on, now this is where I blame Mike McCarthy. Not necessarily for the punt, although I think it was a very gutless call. The running game and Aaron Jones. Look, Aaron Jones, forget Aaron Jones. The Packers only ran the ball 11 times. 11 times. And and for those of you who were paying attention, or were on Twitter on Thursday night, I should say, you saw that I retweeted Zach Heilpern. He's been a guest on the show multiple times. You hear him on Fridays to talk about the Badgers. He tweeted, Packers ran it 13 times tonight. Second fewest in Mike McCarthy's tenure. And to boot, Aaron Jones is his flipping running back. One of the guys who's looked like a, a budding star. I saw some people on Twitter for the first half of that Seahawks game, comparing him to Alvin Kamara. Look, I don't think that's fair. I think that's a little bit over the top, but who knows? A running back is only as good as his head coach and offensive coordinator will let him be. And Aaron Jones got 11 carries. 13 as a whole. One went for Rodgers, which I'm sure wasn't designed. And one went for Jamal Williams. 11 carries for Aaron Jones. And what was funny is at the end of that soundbite, we opened the segment with Joe Buck, you know, talking about what a first half for Aaron Jones. I'll play it one more time. Check this out. Oh, what a half he's had. Yeah, well, that was it. <laughs> that, that right there, that closed, that closed the book on Aaron Jones because that was, that was it. That was it. He didn't go to him in the second half. Only 11 carries for Jones. 13 as a whole. I'm going to say 12 because one was a broken play where Rodgers tucked the ball. 12 carries? 12 carries against the Seahawks defense, which has actually been pretty, pretty poor against the run. Middle of the pack or worst. You're not going to run the football, especially when Rodgers is struggling. Makes no sense. And I want to compare before we take a break. We talked about Craig Council, who I think very well could have won manager of the year. I don't think it's it's some travesty that he didn't win it. I know it was it was fairly close. Got a good portion of first place votes. Craig Council did. Part of what made Craig Council so good and what made this Brewers team so good down the stretch, and I talked about it repeatedly on the show, is Craig Council knew how to get the most out of the players that he had, Right. Craig Council knew that if the Dodgers were going to beat him, they were going to have to beat Jeremy Jeffress and Josh Hader and Corey Knable and Christian Yelich. And that's ultimately what happened. But Craig Council was not going to lose knowing that they didn't throw their best punch, meaning they didn't have their best players on the field. And what made Craig Council so good is, let's talk about the bullpen especially. Let's compare the bullpen of Craig Council to the, to the offensive arsenal of Mike McCarthy. Wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, etc. If Craig Council was put in charge 
of this wide receiving core, he would say, all right, I want the majority of the targets to go to Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb when he's healthy. And then when other guys are open because of the pressure that Adams and Cobb put on the defense, we'll get them the ball too. Craig Council would not be saying, well, I think we need to spread the targets out evenly. I think we need to throw just as many times to Equinemius St. Brown as we do Devontae Adams. No, of course not. Craig Council would say, much like I want Josh Hader on the mound as much as possible in clutch moments, I want the ball to go to Devontae Adams in clutch moments, i.e. on third down. And Corey Knable is a great example of this. Corey Knable was possibly the best pitcher in the league for the last month and into the playoffs. He was unhittable. He was unstoppable. I'm not going to say he was the best pitcher on the Brewers team because Josh Hader obviously is a different beast. Craig Council used Corey Knable in a role that fit his skill set perfectly. Because Corey Knable was striking out batters at such a clip, he used him, he brought him in almost to close the book on the starting pitcher. Starting pitcher works himself into a little bit of trouble, right? Maybe a base runner two on. All right, let's use Corey Knable. Even though he probably has closer stuff, and most managers would use him at the end of the game, we're going to use him now because it fits his skill set. Much like this, Mike McCarthy refusing to use Aaron Jones in the offense in the second half. And in my opinion, I know Devontae Adams had a lot of targets. I would have targeted him more. You watch film of Devontae Adams, no one can press this man on the line of scrimmage. The efficiency and the quickness that which Devontae Adams gets open on the line of scrimmage is incredible. I don't know if I've ever seen a wide receiver like him. So on third and two, the fact that you're not utilizing that, his ability to get free immediately at the line, that should be exactly what you want on third down. Assuming you're facing a blitz or you're facing extra pressure, that's what you should want. And I'm saying if Craig Council was in charge, he would say, well, I don't know a lot about football. But, or maybe he does, I'm not, I don't want to speak for Craig Council, but this 17, this number 17 over here, he can get quick, really free on the line of scrimmage. And we have Aaron Rodgers constantly under pressure on third down, taking sacks. Let's work on getting the ball a little faster, and let's start with number 17, Devontae Adams, because he gets open so quick and so early and so, so efficiently at the line of scrimmage. He has such a good first step, a good first move. We'll target him on third down. It's not hard. That's what Craig Council would do. And we saw him manage a, a very interesting and a very unorthodox pitching staff and pitching philosophy in the last month of the season. If you take that and apply it to this Green Bay Packers offense, it makes a lot more sense. All right, I know we got some action on the five-star telecom talking text line. We will get to that soon, I promise. So if you have uh, have a text there, I promise. I see it. We're going to get to it soon. But we got a guest coming up next, Ebo, host of the Joe and Ebo Experience Mornings on the Zone in Madison. We're going to talk to him about the Packers and about the Badgers a little bit as well because they had a big win. Don't worry, I didn't forget. We're going to get to that coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. <laughs> Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. I am your host, Grant Bills. 96.7 FM, 580 AM. Maybe you're listening on our mobile app. However you're listening, thanks for tuning in, making the show a part of your Monday. First time guest here on the show. I'm very excited and uh, and very, uh, well, uh, just excited. Let's leave it at that. Ebo, host of the Joe and Ebo Show, mornings on The Zone in Madison. Our sister station joining us here for a couple minutes on the five-star telecom talk and text line. Ebo, what's going on, man? Hey, man, very excited to be on the show with you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. Got to spread the gospel, you know? <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I've I've watched you on Twitter here for a while now, and I'm excited to be able to to hear from you on the show. Look, I'll just come out and say it. Uh, so the Packers lose ugly. Again, it's it's kind of a theme that we've seen on Thursday night. I'll just ask you, uh, whether it be Friday or this morning when you guys were on, what was, what was the consensus? What was the conclusion you guys came to about this Packers team at this point in the season? I guess I'll start on Friday. Friday it was a sense of, wow, like where's the relaxed moment? Where's the run the table? Where's going to be this galvanizing moment for the Packers? And I, I strongly thought that they could get it done in Seattle, get their first road victory of the season. Now, 
you know, they remain defeated on the road, going to Minnesota, and then, you know, I was watching the Bears and the Vikings last night, and um, I thought the Vikings would be a lot better this season, and I thought the Bears would be a lot worse. And, man, the tables have, you know, flipped And after watching the Saints and after watching even the Cowboys get a victory and whatnot. I just, I just said to myself, I don't think the Packers are just that good. And it's so bizarre because you get last season with Brett Hundley, was statistically not great to use Brett Hundley's words. Now you have a, you know, supposedly a healthy Aaron Rodgers this season, and it's just, everything just seems so dysfunctional. I guess that's the vibe. Dysfunction is a vibe, my man. It seems it seems really really clunky, and I, and I got to ask you, paying attention to both kind of the national side of things and, and the more local or the state side of things. Local, you hear a lot more criticism of Aaron Rodgers, and nationally you hear a lot more towards Mike McCarthy. I think there's blame on both sides. Where do you fall in the, the Rodgers versus McCarthy debate on, on why this team can't get it together right now? No, that's funny. Um, I uh, My brother started the Mike McCarthy fan club a couple of years ago, and I I am the director of communications, wink, wink. It's you know, a fun <laughs> you know, thing we like to do on Twitter and, and you know, get a rise out of people. But honestly, that being said, uh, Rodgers does shoulder some of the blame, but also, you know, at the end of the day, Mike McCarthy is the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Therefore, you know, the responsibility falls on him. I think there's a disconnect uh, growing and has been growing for years between Rodgers and McCarthy. And I think you start to see it boiling over. Uh, people in national media talk about being a stale offense. I don't, I don't really agree with that. I think McCarthy still is innovative, uh, calling plays. I just don't think him and Rodgers, I feel like they're trying to outdo each other in some kind of weird way. And, my one knock and huge criticism of McCarthy is, why don't you use Aaron Jones more? This guy is insane. Like, he's a great talent. Why don't you use Jones more? Uh, Rodgers is even calling for it. And then Rodgers himself just doesn't look sharp either. I think a lot of that has to do with the injury as well. But just looking at it, I think a, a new uh, change uh, scenery for McCarthy, a new voice to be brought into Lambeau. And, I, you know, Rodgers doesn't go anywhere if we paid him all that money. So a new coach, I think, would be, you know, apropos who who's going to be. No clue, but I just think a new voice needs to be in there. Yeah, I haven't even started to think about who a new coach would be. Ebo joining us uh, from the zone in Madison on Twitter at Ebo. Uh, Ebo, now I can't even remember it. Ebo says. Ebo says. That's right. Keep it really easy. Ebo says. It was on the tip of my tongue. We have. Uh, I've had Bart <laughs> Winkler on the program as well, and that's Winks thinks, and I'm just getting my Twitter handles messed up. Yeah, <laughs> your coworker Zach Heilprin, who has also been on the show, tweeted out the other night, and I I almost didn't believe it. They ran the ball 13 times, one of which was. was you know, a breakdown play run by Aaron Rodgers, and one was Jamal Williams. That's only 11 carries for Aaron Jones, who lit it up in the first half and then disappeared in half number two. Can you wrap your mind around what the deal is with Aaron Jones? It's like the Bucks the last couple of years. There's really good players on this team, and and I think all over the offense. Why can't they unlock it? It's so clunky and slow to get going. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, the first half against the Seahawks, you saw Aaron Jones, you know, with that with the run, you know, using his legs, and then that catch that he got for the touchdown with Aaron Rodgers, and like. I mean, you're a little younger than I am, and I'll nerd out a little bit here. It's like Dragon Ball Z, like sure. you know, Super Saiyan. Like I thought, I thought you know, Rogers and Jones were on the same page doing this fusion thing that they do in Dragon Ball Z, and they're just mind melted. And then McCarthy uses them. What I think he touched the ball six times in the second half. Which yep, it boggles my mind. You know, Aaron Jones needs to be used more. I know he's not your prototypical back, like you know Ezekiel Elliott or David Johnson, these guys, Aaron Jones is a little smaller guys, so you can't run them into the ground, but only to use them that many times is absurd, especially when he's a talent like that. So you got to use them um, more. It's just, I can't, it, 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 it boggles the mind. I can't even wrap my arms around it. I don't know if you can either. But yeah, I really can't. <laughs> that's, why it's, that's why it's frustrating for me to watch this team. I do got to ask you really quick, I'll, I'll be honest, 
when Mike McCarthy punted the ball away in the fourth quarter, it's not really what I wanted to see, but I wasn't mad. Like at the time, I didn't think it was that. I mean, it didn't single handedly beat the Packers. When Mike McCarthy chose to punt the ball away in the fourth quarter, what was your thought as you watched it in real time? What was your reaction? You know, at the time, he always said he plays the numbers, and if I watched the press conference afterwards, and that the numbers guy was kind of telling him that would be Joe Philbin's offensive coordinator, he's telling him to punt when McCarthy said in his gut he wanted to go for it. But dude, every time we do it, every time you feel that gut instinct, you know, you should do it. And if yeah. I was Michael Carthy, I would have gone with the gut instinct. But so I agree with you at the time, I was like, okay, I know the defense was a little gassed, but, you know, they didn't look too bad throughout the game. You got Aaron Rodgers. We loved that, you know, those last second kind of things with Rodgers. And when, honestly, the thing that bugged me the most was, yeah, the punting important too was, to me, not smart, but Aaron Rodgers in those final two drives was, and yeah. here's the criticism, was not good. Aaron Rodgers did not look like Aaron Rodgers on those final two drives. And uh, I think the easy answer is to blame Mike McCarthy. And I think the hard answer, and a lot of Packer fans don't want to say it, is to give criticism to Aaron Rodgers. And I'll definitely give him criticism because I think he had a hand in losing that game. Yeah, I, I think Aaron Rodgers had opportunities. It's not like... Mike McCarthy took away his only opportunity, like maybe happened in the Rams game a couple of weeks ago. While I still have yeah. you here, Ebo from the zone joining us, uh, I, I want to talk a little bit of Badgers football because it was an odd game for me. They did get the win. It, it felt like that game took six hours, and it felt like I watched three different football games in one. And by the end, it was like I was almost too tired to enjoy what was a really entertaining finish. I know you're in Madison, so there's probably a little bit more excitement or frustration, what have you, in your area than over on the on the West Coast in lacrosse. What are your thoughts on this Badger team right now? This is a really hard nut to crack. This is a strange one for me because, you know, go preseason and being tapped, uh, go to the college football playoffs, you're on, you know, your offensive lines on the cover of Sports Illustrated. All the expectations are there to, you know, finish high in the Big Ten and finally get over that hump and show the nation, you know, what we're made of. And then the injuries start to happen. You know, the court case with Princess Cephas happens. Then you get the, the transfers, people like going out. Then you have the quarterback controversy. Uh, I don't even call it a controversy, just Hornibrook not, you know, taking that next step. Yeah. And that win, um, everyone, everyone in Madison, I feel like, you know, I love Twitter. I'm always on Twitter. Of course. Uh, just. I had people in my studio, too, watching the game, and they're like, they're burying the Badgers. I'm like, well, there's still time. Hang on, we've seen some crazier things. And after they did it, you know, Jonathan Taylor, a man possessed, 321 yards, three touchdowns, is, you know, career high. You got Danny Davis with those nuts catch, those two nuts catches for touchdowns. And, and Cone actually looked good in the fourth, and then I guess some in the overtime, but that was all Jonathan Taylor. But I'm still, like, shocked that they won the game because everyone thought they were going to lose, that they won. I celebrate it, man. It's a gritty win. It looks nice moving forward, so you got to get some confidence, get some hope where you can, and there's definitely some hope moving forward. So I talked to Zach Heilprin about two weeks on this show, and, and we were looking at the final five games of this Badger schedule, and I said, look, I think they could lose three of five, and I almost, and Zach couldn't believe it. He said, well, that's really pessimistic, and they almost lost to Purdue, which would have made my prediction correct. <laughs> now, obviously, I'm going to pull for the Badgers. So the Gophers, one final week. I know there's a lot of talk about Jack Cohen's red shirt, a lot of moving pieces right now. All things considered, do you still think the Badgers are going to just just beat the brakes off of Minnesota? Oh, man, so here's the thing in Madison. And this week, it's Axe Week, so everyone loses their mind over Everyone's talking about how much they hate those slimy, greasy gophers. Yep. You know, want to get up the guts out there. And, um, you know, Axe Week is – we have a lot of friends that are part of the Badger program uh, that used to play, and they come around the studio. We have them on. And they talk about in the locker room, they have a loop playing of all the times Wisconsin had like scored or beat Minnesota for Axe Week. And it's, it's kind of like clockwork orange where you're always just watching it and watching it and watching it. Uh, not to say they're brainwashing anyone, but <laughs> it's, um, 
it's it's just it gets really spirited around here, and I don't think yeah, Minnesota hasn't had the axe since 2003. So we've had that for so long, and it's so nice to see the Badgers like get inspired over it. I know the expectations are changed now with you know college football players and whatnot, but this is still a huge week for them and that program and all the alum and everyone around. So this is a huge game for those guys. I can't wait for the Badgers to just beat the brakes straight off the Gophers. I think it's going to be a nice big-time win, and I did hear possibly that Hornibrook will be playing, just what a little birdie told me, so... So if, that with what you will. if Hornibrook plays, obviously Jack Cohen wouldn't. Do you think they'll really? Well, obviously they could then save his red shirt. Here's the the problem. Well, I'll ask you one last thing quickly, Ebo. Why are we so concerned about saving the the red shirt of Jack Cohen? I don't. I think he is not a part of where the Badgers want to go at quarterback. Obviously, you know a lot more about this Badgers team than I do. What are your thoughts on that take? Well, I mean, I, I agree. It's what what do you do? Why save the red shirt? I guess. You know, we have Graham Mertz coming in yeah. next year, this highly touted recruit out of New York who just put up what, five, six total, six touchdowns in his last game in the playoffs for the high school. And this guy is like the biggest recruit we've had coming in. If I don't think Cohen, no offense to, to Cohen or Hornybrook, but if Mertz, maybe you sit him one year, save a red shirt, you know, get him on a red shirt and see, let him learn the system. And then I think it's Mertz's team. So if you want to burn Cohen's red shirt, I mean, I don't. I'm with you there, bud. I don't. I don't see why you wouldn't. But <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, Bert's coming in, brother. It doesn't make any sense to me uh, why Jack Cohen would be. I know I can see maybe doing right by the player and, and saving his eligibility. Should yeah. he want to go anywhere else? That's one thing. But for this team, uh, you got to win games, and, and I don't think Jack Cohen is a part of that going forward. Ebo, this is really fun first segment to do. I really appreciate you taking a couple minutes and, and joining my show. And hopefully, we we get to meet in person. You know, I have people from yeah. your station on all the time, like Zach. And I, I've talked to him now a handful of times, and I've never met any of you guys. So hopefully we can uh, we can say hello and meet in person. Someday. Hey, would love to, man. You come down to Madison, we'll show you a good time. We'll come up to lacrosse. I got some family up there, and we'll have a good time. And uh, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm gonna go back to watching little King of the Hill now. Yeah, that sounds that sounds hard to beat, Evo. Thanks a lot, man. And and I'm sure uh, hopefully our cross our paths will cross uh, before too long. Badgers looking in a good spot. See all that Badgers talk, and then that exciting win from Saturday. Just took away the Packers' negativity there for a couple minutes. That was nice. So why don't we keep that rolling here for the final 15 minutes of the show? I want to come back. I do have a couple things I want to say about the Badgers' win on Saturday as we look forward. It is Axe Week. Uh, it's Thanksgiving week. God, I, I, this is just one of my favorite weeks of the year. So the Minnesota game is looming. We'll talk a little bit about that. And some big takeaways from Saturday as well that Ebo and I didn't get to cover. A couple things I want to say, too. So we'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show. I see you guys on the Five Star Telecom talking text line. We're going to get to you right out of the shoot, I promise. And then we'll wrap up with some Badger stock here on the Wisco Sports Show. Coming up next. <laughs> Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Hope you're having a good Monday. And while we're on the subject, real quick, Blake Shelton talking about childhood hunger there. Remember this week of Thanksgiving, uh, for those who, who may not have as much as we do or aren't as lucky, remember on Thursday, there is a community Thanksgiving dinner down at the Lacrosse Center and a big one. It's a big deal. Doors open at 10 and food goes all the way 11 to 3. So you can come inside, spend some time with friends or family at 10 and then food from 11 to 3. Good four hour window. Everyone is invited. There's going to be music, entertainment, and a whole lot of stuff going on, including Football on the big screens. You know it. Uh, 
actually, if you can't get down there or you don't have transportation, they'll actually give you a ride or you can carry the food out. A lot of ways that they're just looking to help people out down at the lacrosse center. I don't know if we have any information about this on our WKTY website, which you should be visiting uh, because there's a lot of good stuff there. But I know you can find it on our sister station, Z93, which is where I work at night, which is why I know about this. And I wanted to pass the word along. You can also check out the details at Z933.com as well. Big Thanksgiving dinner at the lacrosse center on Thursday. Um, and I, I hope those of you out there who can, uh, well, everyone can take advantage of it, but I hope uh, that that, uh, that dinner is well attended because it's such a, a great thing that our community does. Uh, I do have to get to the five-star telecom talking text line. TC says Rogers needs, Rogers needs to take more chances, too many tuck it in and get sacked. TC, I think there actually is um, something to be said for Rogers taking more chances. I, I, on third and three, you know, close to midfield, I'd rather you throw it 20 yards down the field and get picked then punt the ball away. I, I'm going to be honest. And not every interception is created equal. And I think Rodgers at some point needs to weigh the risk and the reward. And I think that's a really good thought, especially when you when you see his completion percentage nearing 50%, especially in the red zone. Now, I know you can't throw interceptions in the red zone, but sometimes you got to trust your trust your arm and trust your talents. And if there's anyone out there who should be willing to trust what he can do, uh, it should be Aaron Rodgers. Scott says against Seattle, I don't think Rodgers hit a single receiver in stride. First drive or first drive pass to Adams was underthrown. Touchdown to Jones was underthrown. Questions from all levels of media about what's wrong with AR. Go back to 2015. We're back to 2003. Favre thinking he's bigger than the team. Now look, Scott, I'm going to admit I'm going to level with you. I'm too young to remember what was going on in 2003, but I do remember 2008 and the surrounding years. Uh, when Mike McCarthy was brought in and, and got those extra couple of years out of Brett Favre. I don't know if that's happening with Aaron Rodgers, but he's thrown off his back foot. His body language doesn't look great, and I do think that is affecting a lot of his throws. That bomb, uh, well, it wasn't a bomb, but that long pass down the far sideline to uh, number 17, Devontae Adams, it should have been a touchdown. The Packers could have been up 14-0. to Instead, Rodgers underthrows him, and he's allowed to get caught. I don't specifically remember the touchdown throw to Jones. I did watch it a, a couple of minutes or before the show started, I was rewatching some highlights and some some game video. He did kind of have to put his hands down by his hips and slow down and, and and scoop it in. It wasn't a perfect throw, and there definitely is something to be said for his accuracy. It's not necessarily missing wide open receivers. We don't see that a whole lot, but the throws that he does make inches matter in terms of of busting a long play loose or just having it be uh, a nice play like we saw to Devonte Adams. Of course, that drive didn't end in points. It ended in a, a missed. Uh, Mason Crosby field goal. That's the difference. A couple inches is, is a missed field goal, zero points, or six or seven points on the touchdown. So I think there's definitely something to be said for that. Scott, thank you for chiming in, all of you on the five-star telecom talk and text line. I do want to wrap up with a little bit of Badgers talk. Forget expectations. Forget where they started the year. This team's been through a lot. A lot of injuries in that already really young, inexperienced secondary and on the defensive line. Uh, they're just missing some bodies. And, and for them to win that game in Purdue which is always, it always seems to be, the weather always seems to be bummy in Purdue and West Lafayette. By the way, I just, I just got to say that. When was the last time we watched a game where the Badgers were in Purdue and it was nice out? Two years ago when they played the Boilermakers there, that was the, the game where TJ Watt had the, the interception, the, the almost a sack, you know, jumps up, bats the ball down and takes it in. It was raining then too. I remember it was deer hunting week and we watched it at a bar up in, uh, up in Colfax, Wisconsin, or was it Bloomer, Wisconsin? I don't know, about three hours north of here. And I'm looking, gosh, I know I just sat out in 20 below weather or, or zero degrees and was hunting all morning, but I don't want to go to a game in West Lafayette. Man, that looked gross. That being said, the Badgers get a win in a tough environment against a Big Ten opponent who, remember, blew out Ohio State and has some talented players. Now, in my opinion, this upcoming Saturday is the biggest game because this is one of the things that no matter how poorly their season goes, no matter if they live up to expectations or exceed expectations, doesn't matter. This Axe game against Minnesota is always big, and it's always a moment of pride and something for them to hang their hat on. 
which is why I think this Saturday's game is so important. I've been hearing all this talk, and I didn't. Uh, I apologize to Dave. Uh, I know Scrady was out this morning. I apologize to you, Dave. I did not get to tune in and hear any of your show this morning here on WKTY. I don't know if you were talking about this. I've heard other people talking about this. What are they going to do with Jack Cohn's red shirt? He's at that three-game threshold. Now, of course, we heard from Ebo a couple of minutes ago that it looks like Hornybrook might play. This may not be a problem, but I'm saying theoretically, if Hornybrook's concussion lingers and he's not able to go on Saturday, we're worried about Jack Cohn's red shirt? And Ebo kind of agreed with me when I asked him this. Are you serious? Are we serious? You're going to start Danny Vandenboom to preserve the red shirt of a quarterback who, to be honest, may never see the field at a college level, at this university or another. This isn't anything against Jack Cohen, but it's not like the the life of a backup quarterback at Wisconsin is anything special. Not a personal thing. I'm talking football here. It's not like they have Jalen Hurts on the bench or Ch- Chad Kelly, or uh, Kelly Bryan, excuse me, not Chad Kelly, who has performed well and, and could be transferring. I, I don't think that's the situation for Jack Cohen. I understand doing right by the player, not wanting to burn up their eligibility uh, for selfish reasons and then essentially screwing over the player because you're stealing a year of eligibility in a year that really doesn't matter to them. But I don't think Jack Cohen is, look, he's not Jalen Hurts. He's not Kelly Bryant. He's Jack Cohen. And to 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 put his red shirt over a game, like I said, the one game this year you can still hang your hat on. Now, I know they're going to be bowl eligible. That that's will come in due time. That's not on the schedule yet. To say that, well, we should preserve Jack Cohen's red shirt. This game to Minnesota doesn't mean anything to us. That's asinine. God, I hate that take. That's what I had to read today, and that's what I had to hear on afternoon radio, Wisconsin radio today. Come on. We're not saving Jack Cohen's red shirt for the Axe game. Even if Hornibrook Hornibrook doesn't play, Jack Cohen better be out there. I'm not worried about saving the red shirt of a backup quarterback on the Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, What I am worried about and what was really impressive on Saturday, and I, I talked to Zach Heilprin, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, and I asked him, Zach, to me, and to the eye test, I know the statistics say otherwise, and the metrics say otherwise, but me watching the game, what I'm seeing on the field, things I saw with Melvin Gordon, and heck, go all the way back to John Clay, John Clay, Melvin Gordon, James White, um, I know I'm missing a big one, Monte Ball. They took over games. Like there, there were moments with those running backs, and it wasn't every week, it was more often with some, some than, than others. There were moments in those games where they said, Put all 11 men in the box. I don't give a damn. I'm going to run behind my beefy offensive line and I'm going to pound it down your throat until you can't stand up anymore. And then we're just going to walk into the end zone play after play. Melvin Gordon averaged 18 yards a carry when he went for 408 against Nebraska in the snow. That's the kind of game at some point. Now, not necessarily 408 or 18 yards a carry, but to the eye. To the fan who's watching the game, that's what I expected to see out of Jonathan Taylor this year. And I don't know if it's if a game has really popped like that yet. Saturday it did. Finally, Jonathan Taylor said, you know what? I'm a Heisman candidate. I'm running behind one of the best offensive lines in the country. They were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I don't care. I'm going to run it down your throat. I'm taking over this game. And he did in the third and the fourth quarter and in overtime as well, which I think bodes really well for the Badgers confidence as a whole, not just for that offensive line or for Jonathan Taylor, but just their ability to know that when they got to have it, when they got to run the football, they can do it. And against a quality opponent in Purdue, I know they're not the cream of the crop in the Big Ten. They got some players, they got some skill players here and there, and they are a formidable Big Ten opponent on the road, and it's always tough to win on the road, as we talked about last week. Takeaways from the Badger game, I loved seeing uh, um, Jonathan Taylor take over. Jack Cohen's red shirt should 100% be a non-factor in whatever decision is made in terms of who to start a quarterback this coming Saturday. I don't care. Your best quarterback is on the field. If that's Jack Cohen, if Alex Hornibrook can't play, otherwise Alex Hornibrook will obviously play. 
I don't care about Jack Cohen's red shirt. I know that's really insensitive as a guy who doesn't play college football and lives across the state and doesn't know Jack Cohen. I don't care about his red shirt. Not one bit. Win this game. Put your best quarterback on the field and win this game. Because it's one of the things in an ultimately fairly disappointing season that you can still hang your hat on. And that is beat the piss out of the Minnesota Gophers each and every year now for how many years running. I think uh, Ebo reminded us it's been since 2003 since the Badgers have lost to the Gophers. Knock on wood, although I do think... Remember, this Gophers team lost to Illinois. And if, and if the Badgers get beat, I'll come on this show and eat my words. But I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Heck, it might not happen in my lifetime at this rate. Good show today. Thanks, everybody, who chimed in on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. Uh, another thank you to Ebo for hopping on from the zone in Madison. You can catch him 6 to 10. The Joe and Ebo Experience. The Joe and Ebo Show weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on our sister station over in the big city over in Madison. So thank you to him. Uh, coming up tomorrow, no Wisco Sports Show. We're going to have the Turbo Basketball here on WKTY, and I'm actually going to cover that game. So I will be there. If you tune in to listen, I will be calling that game with Drew Kelly, and we'll be back on Wednesday uh, for Thanksgiving wrap-up, a Thanksgiving send-off before we start our holiday as well. So I'm looking forward to that. No Wisco Sports Show tomorrow. I will talk to you on Wednesday. Matt Velasquez, Bucks writer for the Journal Sentinel, will join us. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. We'll talk turkey as well. So make sure you're here. Uh, thank you for tuning in. I'll talk to you Wednesday, everybody. Have a good uh, have a good Tuesday tomorrow. I think I don't get to talk to you. Talk to you Wednesday. Wednesday.